Hello and welcome. I'm Danner. And I'm Janner. And welcome to Mama's Boy, a mother-son podcast where we have mm, slightly unhinged conversations about life. I'm Danner. And I'm Danner. And welcome to episode 17 of Mama's Boy Podcast. Today yes. is a special day because we have our second guest on the pod. Yes. And it's a very, I don't know. It's going to be more serious than our other podcasts. Yes. We're not going to be talking about would you wrestle an alligator or a bear today. Which are important topics as well. Yeah. It's important to know if you're going to wrestle an alligator or a bear. I think people want to know that, mm-hmm. but in light of recent events and what we talked touched on in episode 16, mm-hmm. I think that it's important we continue that conversation. That would be the one around Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have had uh, many comments from my patients and friends who are very upset about it. And um, we wanted to get a medical opinion on it. And so, drum roll, blah, 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 blah. we're bringing on my very own sister today. Yes, it's uh, we've got uh, we've got Dr. Jessica Miller here with us. She went her undergrad at Cornell University, did her medical school at Temple University in Philadelphia, and did her residency at the Ohio State. And now she's a partner at a very busy uh, OBGYN practice in Columbus, Ohio. So, Jesse, thank you for joining us today. Yay, thanks. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on the pod, my sister. I'm excited to have you. Um, we did, yeah, we we felt that you just have so much experience and background and passion. <laughs> because ever since we were little, it would be you and dad at the dinner table late nights having, I would say, good discussions. You know, there's there's a difference between really like just kind of going at someone's throat and having an honest debate. And you were always the family debater. So we figured it was important yeah. to get you in. And- I like to, I like to play devil's advocate sometimes. <laughs> well, it's good because you're passionate about things. And so that mixed with what's going on in the world, mixed with your background and your passion and you're just family. We love you to death. So we wanted yeah. to get you on here and uh, kind of talk about that. Um, so why don't why don't you tell us a little bit more about kind of your practice, your background, um, how this is applicable? Yeah, so I'm a general OBGYN, which means I do everything from adolescent care, contraception care, OB like obstetrical care, so you know pregnancy care, postpartum care, um, all the way through menopause and postmenopause. Um, but I would say about fifty percent of my practice is obstetrics, um, so dealing with women of reproductive age, generally between like fifteen or sixteen up to like the late forties. And then we also do deliveries. Um, We also take care of miscarriages. We deal with fertility issues. Um, So we're kind of, we kind of dabble in a lot of different stuff. Um, And I am in a practice of about seven other um, OBGYNs and uh, two other people that just practice gynecology. We are in a little bit, um, 
more higher socioeconomic status suburb of Columbus, but we do take all insurances. So I do have about 50% of my practice is government insured patients or under or non-insured self-pay patients. The other 50% is private, privately insured. Um, I don't, I don't provide abortions because of the way that, um, Ohio law is, um, I refer them to abortion providers, usually at Planned Parenthood, but I do, I do have training in it and I could, I could do it in a different circumstance or a different state. Um, it was part of our, um, residency program is a Ryan program, which basically means we receive comprehensive, um, training in, in all kinds of comprehensive contraception, um, pre abortion counseling, how to do abortions and post abortion care was part of my training as well. Um, which is in every program. So, um, that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, so I would say we got the right person talking. <laughs> I mean, there are definitely people that are more experts than me, but I do kind of live and breathe this stuff every single day. So seems like you dabble. Um, seems like we got the right person. <laughs> well, that that's fantastic. So we'll just jump right in. Then what? Then how did this all change? Because Ohio was Ohio a trigger state? Am I right about that? Or what? What yeah. changed for you directly? So um, immediately after Roe v. Wade was repealed, Ohio legislator had teed up something called the heartbeat bill, which has unfortunately been in process prior to the repeal of Roe v. Wade, but was stuck um, kind of in the legislature until this happened on a larger scale. Um, and then as soon as it was passed, the heartbeat bill has already gone into effect. So as of... So the heartbeat bill is basically that you cannot provide abortions for any um, any pregnancy. Their goal was with a heartbeat, um, but the real wording is six um, six weeks, um, which is incredibly early in someone's pregnancy. So, for example, if you have a lethal anomaly at fourteen weeks that you find out about, you can no longer not continue that pregnancy in the state of Ohio, which is a huge change from how we were practicing before. Describe a lethal anomaly, Jess. So a lethal anomaly is usually something that has to be confirmed by multiple doctors. I can qualify as one of those doctors. A high-risk doctor can qualify as one of those doctors. And the idea is that this birth defect, genetic syndrome, um, basically something wrong with the pregnancy will lead to um, not only a poor prognosis and a poor quality of life, but will not lead to meaningful life, usually longer than a year, six months to a year outside of the womb. But most babies will die in, in labor or immediately postpartum. So some examples of that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, so some examples, babies that don't have any kidneys, so they won't produce any urine, so they won't make any lung tissue, so they can live in the mother's womb and then they're born and cannot breathe. Uh, babies born without brains, babies born with completely malformed hearts, um, babies born with genetic syndrome, so they have like 5, 10, 20 different things wrong. Um, it's a big category, but usually the main idea is these babies do not live much past delivery if they make it there. And if born, require intensive medical care and have a very poor prognosis. Oh, and so what's what's kind of the earliest you're generally able to find some of these um, conditions? That's like a great question. Yeah, go ahead. 
Um, the absolute earliest that you could probably find something like this is around 10 weeks. Um, and that's because we do offer genetic screening around 10 weeks. So you can find out things like trisomy. So an extra chromosome, you can also do an ultrasound around that time and you can find a brain or the beginnings of a brain. You can find a early heart, but even that would require confirmatory testing. So if you were going to act on that data, you'd probably not be able to do something until around 12 to 14 weeks at the absolute earliest. And that's kind of what I was wondering, right? Because with the six week law, it does it's it seems a little too early to find something. So it seems like it, it, they write that in in order to say, hey, we're giving this buffer of six weeks. But a medical professional is going, what are we supposed to tell them six weeks? You're stuck after It looks that. like a jelly bean at six weeks. You can't you yeah. can't identify the organs. And actually, the majority of these things get diagnosed at what's called the anatomy scan, which is a large ultrasound done between 16 and 20 weeks. And um, so you imagine people are already fairly far along before they find out some of these things. So, for example, we don't look for a kidney before that anatomy ultrasound. So if your baby has no kidneys, you may not know until 16, 17, 18 weeks. Um, so you're far into the second trimester by that point. Yeah. So if a woman has a, a fatal anomaly, then what are what are her options now that Roe v. Wade has been returned? We're we're going to have to send people out of state. We have to send people to um, Chicago, Minnesota, Illinois, different places in Illinois, like border cities. Um, we're we're going to have to refer out of Ohio at, at this point. And what's you know, and what's because a lot of people would say, well, Roe v. Wade. All it simply did was hand control back to the states. And at its basic, that's what it did. It just gave control back to the states. But, you know, talking to you and hearing states like this, there's still a majority or the majority is still legal from what I see. The majority is 20 states and it's still legal to have abortions. Um, But there's so many people and in such sense that just like you described, if they need it, you have to send them out. And that person, that baby, that mom, they're at risk, right? Well, I would say actually the majority of my patients don't have the resources to go out of state. So you either have to drive and fly. If gas is five, six bucks a gallon, you're asking that patient to to fork out potentially hundreds of dollars. Not only that, it's not covered by government insurances and most cases not covered by um, private insurances, although there's a lot of... um, exceptions and and differences that probably are not relevant to this conversation. But suffice it to say that most people have to pay out of pocket for the majority of this procedure. They have to get there. They have to take off work. They have to find childcare. Um, I mean, even before Roe v. Wade, it was an issue. We still, we sent people that were further along. Um, I sent two patients this year um, to different cities that were outside of Columbus for specialty procedures. And it took about a week of, for them to drive up there, be seen, um, and then there's a bunch of hurdles that were in place that Ohio puts in place. For example, you have to wait 24 hours after you make the decision before you can have the procedure. So you automatically have to take at least two days off. Um, and it can be, I mean, even, even college students that I saw at Planned Parenthood, which is down the road from Ohio State, um, it was difficult to not um, miss classes, miss work. Um, to try to be subtle in terms of friends and family and who you want to know is already a barrier. So this is going to be probably insurmountable for a lot of patients. Yeah. Wow. And it's just, I don't know. It, it is crazy to me, you know, cause yeah. I, I don't know, you know, everyone was just on the surface saying, you know, that it's the States, it's no big deal. It's all this and this, but just I, like you just pointed out, there's so much more that goes into it that it really does just it kind of become a, 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 am I trying to say this? 
um, or uh, healthcare, just part of general healthcare more than anything. Well, right? if you say it's just the state, what happens to people that live in a state whose representatives don't respect their choice and don't respect them and they don't feel re- represented by their state? It's one thing if you live in California and you align with their views, but what about the 14-year-old who was raped by her dad in Alabama, which has the number one amount of sexual assault in our country, but has the least access to abortion in our country? Okay. Okay, what about her? How is she going to get to California, Chicago? She's not. She's 14. She can't drive. Her dad, let's say her dad raped her, uncle raped her. There's a lot of family dynamics going on there. So I think what what states does not cover is people that are not represented by the state and people that are underpowered or underprivileged in some way, you know, age, education, financially. Um, they can't get to the state's to get this and time is of the essence. This isn't like I'll set my vacation for February and it's July. Like, yeah. you know, you gotta, you gotta get moving. And it, it's not just about aborting a fetus or a baby. It's about the, the health of that 14 year old. Am I correct? Oh my gosh. I mean, I've delivered 12 year olds. And what does that do to a 12 year old to their body? The trauma and the physical trauma, the mental and physical trauma is nauseating on top of what that child's life looks like. Um, and I think this issue is complicated by a broken um, child protective services system in our country and the lack of good foster and group homes. There's not a great solution. You know, if you have a poor family life, it's not like you plop into this magical foster system that's going to get you in a better situation. Um, you know, often you're just placed with extended family and, and are still within the system that brought you to where you are. So, you know, systemic violence and systemic abuse is perpetuated when you have a baby brought into the system. A hundred percent. And, you know, that's like, you know, we've been seeing it all, but I think it's the truth is when people are saying, OK, like, if you're going to force people to have a baby, force people, women to have a baby. Yeah. Um, then what are you going to do after the baby's born? It's just a complete failure in the system as it is. Right. I mean, Absolutely. Like, we talk about you, you baby formulas. There's not even the baby formula out there for for the kids you know, that need it. It's I, I just I get shocked by it. You know, if you just if you want life and you're pro-life and you're all this but as soon as it comes out you don't care about the kid anymore outrageous or child care child care is more than one person's salary mm-hmm. in most situations so what what are we going to do about that or or hunger or you're education you're dooming women to a life of poverty i i see it time and time again i i you know it's 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 just it's not as simple as people are making it out to be there. It completely changes the trajectory of someone's life for the rest of their life. And it, it it's just horrible. Do you think that more abortions, how do I put this? You know me, I'm not, <laughs> I'm bad with some of my gentle terms, but um, do you, do you, and are there statistics on abortions happening because it's an oops baby? Like I, I can't, care for this baby or because it's a medical necessity to abort the baby yeah there's certainly statistics i don't know off the top of my head i will say them i think the majority of people are not done to save the life of the mother to be very honest with you that is a rare situation Mm -hmm. however that doesn't matter um the, the rationale behind it doesn't doesn't matter because the only person that knows what's right for that person is that 
patient in that moment and their them and their healthcare provider. Um, and it, when you, you know, like, and it's gray areas, like, okay, if you have this baby, you're going to go into heart failure. That's one area. But if you're 12 and you have this baby, you might be traumatized for the rest of your life. And, you know, that has its own implications. You may not function in society. You may not know how to raise a child. You may self-harm. Um, so yes, there are certainly statistics that I don't know off the top of my head. I will say the majority of them are, um, unplanned, unwanted, or forced pregnancies in some way that are not necessarily medically indicated in terms of saving the mother's life physically, um, or for lethal anomalies, but they, they do make up a significant portion, but that's probably not the majority. There's secondary consequences to this and, and, and it's about money for these for these people who are against Roe v. Wade, are they also against then increasing Medicaid? Um, because you're putting mm-hmm. a woman in poverty. She will be on Medicaid, her child will be on Medicaid. The yep. child's gonna need medical care. This costs money. And and so the people who are decrying abortions are probably the people who say the government is spending too much on Medicaid or welcare. Absolutely. They don't give them solutions to get a leg up. There's no resources. Exactly. I mean, and that's a a shout in America anyway. There's too much people on welfare, too many people on Medicaid. So now you're putting more women into financial poverty. Um, And that system isn't even even easy to navigate. I've sat there with our patients and walked them through because they don't have the literacy to get on the website and apply. It's not very straightforward. So there's already you know, hoops you have to jump through just on a basic level to to apply for WIC, for Medicaid. You have to know the resources are out there and then you have to be able to access them. Um, and it's not so straightforward. Do you think that uh, abortions or, or this bill will unfairly affect lower income women and women of minority? A hundred thousand percent. And could you explain that- So it's like you said, people that are already disadvantaged in some way are more likely to have an unintended pregnancy. And those people, for whatever reason, from sexual violence, from lack of education or access to contraception, um, and those people are the people that are likely to have an unplanned pregnancy. And so you're already having a larger people you know, in the situation they didn't intend to be in. And then we already have systemic violence, right, within our system. So people are already disadvantaged. They're already coming from a home with less resources and less information. And then they have a baby on top of that. That I mean, I see it time and time again. My mom was 16 when she had me. I'm 16. My grandma was 16 when she had me. You know, our family has teenage pregnancies. So it, it just, there. it's impossible to get out once you have people depending on you. I mean, the statistics, I think it's 3% of single moms will finish their college degree. I mean, it's, it's, it's too much for most people. And um, they just, and they just can't get out um, of the situation that got them in there to begin with. And it just makes it worse and worse. And, and the reality is that the people that are advantaged will get abortions whether they're not Roe v. Wade passes. And that's how it's always been. Yeah, we were talking about that too. That and, and you see it all over. And I think there's yeah. truth in it, is that it's it's not going to decrease abortions. It's going to decrease safe abortions. It's going to. Oh yeah, you don't think that the, 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 the royalty and the rich have not had abortions throughout history? 
Yeah, I yeah. Because well what about too is like the rich will find a way. If you if you have money, quick airplane to Canada, Mexico, wherever you want to go, go on vacation. You just pop sure. Over. You get it done. You get it done in private. You get it done by a doctor. Yeah, and, and you have it done safely. Um, and I think that the reality is, is what, what we are not seeing is people saying, oh, I won't get an abortion because it's illegal now. There's a big underground movement. How are we going to get these women abortions? Because it's going to happen. And whether they try to do it on their own or we help them as a medical field, it's not going to change. And that's been proven time and time again that it does not decrease abortion. What about these people who say, well, just have women take birth control pills and I'll be better. They, they, there's, there's access to birth control. First of all, you have to have a healthcare provider for the most part, which for me, I I think it takes about four to five months before I have an open appointment for a a new gynecology patient. Um, And that's because there's a lack of gynecologists um, in, especially in rural or middle of the country areas where they need it the most. So you imagine you're waiting four to five months so you can get pregnant during that time. Then you have to go pick up your prescription every month. So you need a car, you need to be able to go in the pharmacy is open you need to have the resources to get it and then you need to be able to take it on a daily basis and even that is not perfect um there's side effects there's human error um so i i i think that is a a solution is is access to contraception but the reality is it's not as good as it seems well that's interesting for me because obviously i'm a white male right like i don't why or not? I'm a male, right? I I just I don't know what it's like to to get it because yeah. in in my head it seems easier than that. Even that's a surprise to me. And I come from a family of not only the majority women but of of medical professionals, and I didn't know it took that much to. to yeah, say that you wanted to get on birth control. There were really a male didn't. birth control pill. You'd call my office today. I'd see you in September. And then I'd fill your prescription in the middle of September. Now there might be places you can get in earlier. Yeah. You have to call around. You have, you know, you have to. It's just not if so. You just get it off a shelf and say, "Okay, I, I'm I'm good now. I'm going to start right. taking this. We're good to right. go." Does Medicaid provide free birth control pills? Yes, they do. They do, and they provide free um, long-acting contraceptions, which is the absolute best thing that people could get. So the next one on implantable. Um, option and the IUD, which goes in the uterus. Um, mm-hmm. Both of those last anywhere between four and 10 years, depending on the one that you get. Um, they are covered, but for, again, you have to know how to enroll and you have to know how to get in these things. The worst that you could have is a private insurance that is governed by a Catholic organization, at which point none of your birth control will be covered. And, and something like an IUD might cost you 1500 to $2,000 out of pocket. Um, and your birth, your birth control might not be covered. So Medicaid actually is uh, Medicare, um, are actually really good in terms of birth control coverage. But as you pointed out, you have to know about these, these, you have to know about IUDs, you have to know about, uh, or the long-term ones. And a, a lot of uneducated women don't know about these and you have to get to the doctor you have to take off of work then you have to you might have side effects you have to adjust it it's not so straightforward um you have to commit to it and nothing is perfect so everything has an error rate i mean one of my favorite patients had a copper iud which has a 99 percent success rate for running pregnancy and got pregnant right next to the iud 16 years old and had that baby 
Um, so, I mean, nothing is perfect, unfortunately. So sometimes even two methods is needed to be sure. Um, well, I'm pretty sure that, uh, vasectomies are like, aren't those like a hundred percent? Cause you're, cause they're, you're they're, probably, tied up. they're probably 99% if you do the follow-up, um, some spermies might get through there and some people, but again, they're a lot less, they're a lot less problematic than putting someone on lifetime of hormones. Well, are there, are there solutions for men? Like, I don't want to get off topic, but I think that is part of it is like, what are there things that men could do? I mean, vasectomy and condoms, right? I mean, is there, that's it. Is that really, there's, that's there's it, no? research stuff, but it just money hasn't been funneled into it. I think to be blunt, a lack of interest from men. Oh, hundred percent. And that's why I'm asking, <laughs> is, there even, is, there, is that really our only two options or am I just that ignorant? Cause I, I just don't think old crusty men want to do it. Make the women I, do it. Make them get the pills. Make I was going to say, I don't, I don't want to speak for everybody. And I certainly don't mean this as an insult, but if somebody said, Hey, are you using protection? And you said, yeah, I'm on the man pill. I'm not sure that everybody would just be like, yeah, we're good. That sounds great. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, and I hear old crusty guys say, well, women should just cross their legs then. You know, this is uh, the fault of the women. And and it just it, it just boils my blood. No, that's, that's because sexuality is a human biological function. It's one of our most base needs. And it, a lot of abortions are in marriage, in married couples. So that isn't really, it really has nothing to do with promiscuity or anything like that. And, and like you said, it was my other question too, is like, why should that matter? Because at the end of the day, um, they should have that choice and it should be between the medical sure. provider and that woman, regardless of, of any of that. Um, I do have a question on, it might be pulling us backwards, but, um, and sorry for anybody if this, this is, too much, but what does an abortion look like? What does that process look like? You know, cause I, I think sometimes people picture it as just like taking it out, you know, it's crying, it's there, it's alive, it's <laughs> screaming and you have it and you just kind of, you know, I, what, what does that process look like? I know so, there's different but can you walk us through a little bit? The majority of abortions are done in the first trimester, the first trimester ending around 12 or 13 weeks. Um, and they're way less dramatic. For the most part, people take a medication or two. Um, mesoprestol and mifepristone are the two medications. Mesoprostol um, is used in labor too. It causes contractions and mifepristone stops the pregnancy from growing. So the combination of the two, one causes the uterus to push out the pregnancy, one stops the pregnancy from growing. It's like a heavy period. You might see a sac the size of a grape. You might not. Um, if you're a little further along, you might see something identifiable that looks like it could be a small fetus, but it's not quite so dramatic. That's the medical route. The, the surgical route is a very simple procedure where you um, open up the cervix and use a suction device about the size of a boba straw okay. <laughs> to <Yeah. laughs> uh, remove the tissue inside of the uterus. It takes about 10 minutes. Um, the woman is either asleep or under light sedation or, or no station, actually, a lot of times. Um, and the, it, it's pretty quick. Um, the, the abortions you're talking about are almost always for anomalies. So um, you find out at 18 weeks, your baby's not going to survive. And you do, you have to do some more dramatic um, surgery to remove that infant, or you start labor and they deliver that baby. And yes, there are times where the baby is born alive. Um, but those are medical indications. So the mom's life is in danger or the baby will not survive regardless of the circumstance. Um, so the majority of people are having a heavy period at home 
or having a very, very common surgical procedure that takes about 15 minutes. Um, you, and usually you won't see something that looks very clearly like a baby. (laughs) I -hmm. think that's been blown out of proportion and you're certainly not having a full-term infant that you are then. And that's why I was asking, because I think that's how some people like to paint it is, you know, this is what you're boarding and it's, it's kind and it's all this. To to me, it's not it. And that's interesting to hear. Apart from that, I didn't even really know what it looked like. What the board, what the, the propaganda is is really powerful. Because people are out there going, my six week abortion looked like super easy or super less not easy but less gruesome. People aren't going to talk about it like that. Um, yeah. There's a stigma. So you know yeah. the the people outside of Planned Parenthood with the babies on the sign, they're wrong. That's not the reality for mm-hmm. most people. Yeah. <laughs> what is the morning after pill? What does that do? So it's not an abortion. The morning after pill simply tries to stop you from ovulating. If the preg- if the egg and sperm have already come together, it's not going to abort that pregnancy. So it's trying to prevent the egg and the sperm from joining. So it's basically a high dose of birth control. Um, so you can do the same thing by actually taking um, about three or five birth control pills at once. Um, and it, it's trying to prevent you from releasing an egg, um, assuming you're in your fertile period. Um, so it is not an abortifactant, meaning it does not cause an abortion. So you can take plan B and still be pregnant. Um, and if you're already pregnant, when you take plan B, it does not stop that pregnancy from growing. It's not mesoprostol or mifepristone, which are the two medications we talked about earlier. Um, it's simply estrogen and progesterone, um, which basically work um, in the ovaries to stop the egg. And there's nothing medically safe that a woman can do at home uh, if, if the egg and the sperm have come together uh, uh, to get rid of that, right? There's nothing she can safely do. Oh, gosh, that's a great question. Definitely not safely. Okay. Um, there's ab- the, the safest thing that someone could do if they were looking for an abortion in a state that does not allow abortion is go online and order mesoprostol and mifepristone if they can get their hands on it through a website that has healthcare provider directed care, um, which can be provided through telehealth or um, on their website to tell you how to take those medications safely. It's called a self-directed abortion. Um, It can be very safe for most people um, and it is still legal in all 50 states. Um, so there are wonderful websites that will walk you through this. Um, but that would be this, a much safer option than doing any home remedy. Um, but it does involve you getting you hands on these medications. Okay. Wow. Are the medications expensive? Nope. Okay. Nope. Run of the mill. Okay. Which is sad because I should easily be able to, I actually prescribe mesoprostol for other indications every week. Um, and mifepristone is just as easily um, used, but it's just highly controlled by our government. Um, so it makes it difficult to use, but they're both super safe, super effective, super well studied, um, not dangerous, no long-term effects. Yeah. It's actually pretty straightforward. Why is it controlled by our government? Gosh, I wish I had the answer to that one. Um, that's because there's a lot of governing of healthcare, uh, okay. a lot of, of non-practitioners practicing medicine. 
It's, um, it's, it's so stupid. crazy. It's even just, I don't know, this conversation. It's just, it's sad to me. It's heartbreaking to me that yeah. this needs to happen. And, and this whole conversation, and, and not because we want this conversation to be this way, but because that's the reality is what can a woman do? What can a woman do? What can a yeah. it's, it's, it's so sad. It's just, it, there's, there's no responsibility for men in this. It's, it's pump and dump. It's, oh. it's a horrible way of saying it, but that's what it is. And so this whole conversation has just been like, what are these options? What are, and yeah. it's just, it's, it's horrible. It's, it's too bad. And um, yeah, like I said, I think 20 States are still legal. Um, but I know that there were, I think there were eight, that are fully illegal and then nine more on the docket within 30 days that are supposed to go fully illegal as well. So we're almost going to be, you know, half and half, which it's just crazy. And obviously the big States and Texas and all those, um, it's just, it's just going to change. And especially like Ohio where you're practicing, um, it's, it's an effect immediately. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I had a 76 year old patient today, 76 year old woman who was tearing up saying, I feel like I want to leave the United States because of this decision. She's 76. It's not going to affect her. But the fact that it's telling women what to do is what's bothering her. And she wants to, she's 76. She's, she, if she could, she said, I would leave the United States. I am, I'm so upset. I mean, for a minute, I was like, where can I practice medicine where I can have full scope of care for my patients? Um, not some watered down regimented thing that the government thinks that they know how to do. I mean, even before Roe v. Wade was repealed, the Ohio state legislator almost passed a bill where I could not provide care for ectopic pregnancies, which is definitely a, a, not an abortion. The women cannot survive with ectopics, which is a whole other topic, but um, it was nobody was medical that was involved in writing that bill because it's not possible to save ectopic pregnancies. And they thought you could, they truly thought you could. Um, so it's, it's just crazy to me. Do you think this is uh, uh, truly uh, a separation of church and state? Absolutely not. Um, absolutely not. However, I think that's a, maybe a little unfair to group everybody at, at having religious um, a, a religious mindset behind this because certainly there's a lot of people that think abortion is murder and that message has gone past just religious um, walls and I think there not everybody is motivated by religion but that's the strongest motivator and those people are the most influential um and our government and i think our our big religious institutions are teaching abortion is murder abortion is murder without any of the nuances and scientific understanding of that and it's just being perpetuated perpetuated so i think at, at its root it, it comes from fundamental beliefs in religion but not all religion in jewish religion it's actually uh, it's unethical yeah. to to abort the or to to not abort the fetus to save the yeah. life of the woman. Yeah, and I, the Jewish and so interestingly yeah. enough, I mean, off topic, I just thought it was interesting. There are many animals in this world that can self abort. Yeah, there, right. there are animals that can abort it during pregnancy when it becomes unsafe. It, right. It's like built in. It's, it's natural in the animal world. It's, it's it's crazy, but I appreciate you saying that because certainly you're right. It's it's not. I think we can kind of sense where it stems from. Yeah. But to clump everyone together, I think a bit of it, too, is misinformation. I think it's just propagated. And Mm -hmm. it's a simpler message 
I think, than to say it's a women's choice. And within that choice, there's a bunch of different reasons, some of which are medically indicated and some are not. Mm. And that's a different message that you really have to understand. Number one, where these women are coming from. And number two, you have to kind of give up your hard and fast understanding of when life begins, life is conception. And you have to say, maybe I don't know. And maybe I should respect other people's thoughts around this. Mm -hmm. And if you can't allow for that uncertainty, then you it's easier to just draw a line in the sand and make no exceptions. Yeah. And that that's the F that's the intellectually easier pathway in my opinion. In a bit, because in a in a little bit, but to me it's it's almost easier to say well, it's a woman's choice. <laughs> to me, that's easy. It's her body. It's her choice. I don't like, I, I don't, you I don't think be straightforward, but that's clearly not the case. I know. But I, to me, it's just like, how is that difficult to understand too? It's someone's body. It's their choice. It's a woman's body. It's her toy. I just, to me, that's simple enough. You know, I, I don't, it's frustrating. And I, I, I feel frustrated for you guys, for women and for all this. And, um, Kind of that whole what's next thing. And I don't know. I know we're nearing the end here. I, I had another question that you touched on just now, but I would just be curious where you believe life starts in that process. You've worked with so many kids, so many women. I just, where, yeah. where do yeah, you? That's a great question. So there, there is a tough line. So what we call viability, which is when can a baby survive out of the womb, out of the uterus is around 24 weeks. Now I've seen babies survive between 22 and 23 weeks at high quality tertiary quaternary referral centers. Um, but the, across the country, across most medical professionals, you'll find that 24 weeks is um, sort of the cutoff of when a baby can live outside of the womb. So that doesn't quite cover when you should be allowed to not have abortion. So you can have a baby that can technically survive out of the womb based on their gestational age or how many weeks long they are, but not be able to survive because of other medical things that they have. So I sort of fall in the camp that I think once your baby can live outside the womb, if you don't have a medical indication, you'd have to really be on a case by case basis about why we are doing that and have a really honest and open opinion with your provider about what options you have. And then prior to viability, so less than 24 weeks, I really believe you should have open um, access um, to, to abortion. Now, that being said, it's safer, as you heard about, it's so easy and safe in the first trimester. And that's when we really want women to get abortions. And that's when the majority of abortions happen. So the majority of abortions happening after 12 to 13 weeks are for anomalies or medical indications. Um, so there's not a huge group of women that are falling into that category, having to decide to have an abortion at 20, 23, 24, 25, 26 weeks. Um, most people have decided long before that. Yeah, that, that would make sense to me is that the decision has been made pretty early on. No one's really yeah. Late. And I think leave it to the leave it to the provider. Yeah. You, I mean, not someone who's not in this field doesn't eat and breathe it all day. It, it's probably too much to understand every single intricacy. Just like I don't understand about law or finance or tech, I should not be the ones deciding about those things. But I do understand about this, and I, I really do. And I think that you should just allow people to to have a really, really great relationship with their provider and that you just trust that we're making decisions in the best interest of our patients and put your faith in the medical team who has gone through years of training to simply be able to answer this question for each patient. Um, 
I, I think that's pretty straightforward. Just stay out of medicine if you're not in medicine. Yeah. I couldn't, you know? agree, couldn't agree more but, with that. But what is I, you? Think you're, I think you're right. I don't think that there's a, a line in the sand that says this is when abortion should end. I believe it should be all the way up to 40 weeks, but that doesn't mean for every indication is that the right choice. Mm. But if you start to legislate a time and a date, it starts to get hairy because every patient has to have a conversation with their doctor about what is right for them. And there are probably people that it's right all the way up to the end for a lot of different reasons. And there are probably people that that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And, and as we've kind of talked about and you've touched on and there, that that's why people making all these different arguments in case you're like, look at the end of the day, there's, there's so many nuances to this. Right. There's, so, there's so many, like how are you supposed to say it's life is at this. And for this reason, and this, I mean, you're, you're playing, you're playing chess with a million different pieces, yeah. right? You're trying to say if it happens here with this, or if it's this, is that what it just needs to be between the provider and the woman herself. Right. Make, Nobody you know. wants this, right? Nobody <laughs> wants this to happen. We want to take care of people. We want to do what's best in the best interest of people. And that doesn't mean that, you know, we always, love this decision, but we need to make it safe and we need to have an open conversation and our patients need to be consented. And then we need to provide the service. Um, you know, and I think it, it does, it doesn't always feel easy sometimes for me, you know, there's been situations where I would have made a different choice, but the reality is it's not my choice to make. And I think that that's what the bottom line is. Right. Yeah. So I don't know that you should legislate a specific gestational age. Um, you know, be, based on that, if I were coming up with the laws and it was just my my opinion, I wouldn't legislate that, but I would legislate that you had a healthcare provider walking you through it. That's amazing. I think that's so well said. Is that if you're going to legislate one piece of it, it's consult the physician. You, yeah, where the knowledge we respect that relationship. Yes, absolutely. It's just low moment. <laughs> I had something I was going to say and then it disappeared. Um, oh, but you know, that's why when people are starting to break down these laws and try to nitpick them, I'm like, that's, do you get that? That shouldn't be happening. You don't, it shouldn't even be, who are you to make, what does your mug always say? Like Google's playing doctor or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah exactly. You know, I mean, it's just one of those where we, you don't need to nitpick the law. It's not up to us. It's not up to how we feel. It's up to the provider and the woman. So. Right. hundred percent. Wow. I, I can barely talk about this without getting, angry uh, so dan thank you for your level mind well i just i i i'm it's actually because i i can research roe v weight right i can look that up which i did i can google it i can try to understand the laws what's happened that kind of shift but i'm actually genuinely curious in your take because you're the professional and that's where the knowledge needs to be coming from and as a male i don't understand everything even in a family so educated as ours I don't know. Right. We and all so, can't. Yeah. I just, I, and that, that's why I guess I, the only reason is because I'm so curious. I just, it, I, I want to learn about this because it can, it can it be this outrageous and clearly, yes, it can. It can. It, and it yep. is, it is this. It's outrageous. mind blowing. It's mind blowing. Yeah. Absolutely. What are, um, I know you've kind of touched throughout the podcast, but what are some um, resources women can have some pretty easy, accessible resources? Is is it just starting to Google things? What are some places? Yeah, one of my, my favorite website is Planned Parenthood's website. Um, they have 
really access to how to get you abortions in any state, if that's something that you would like. Um, also reach out to your healthcare provider, reach out to your OBGYN. We're here to talk. I, I, we're not here to judge you. I I'm here to be there for you. And we're here, we're trained in abortion care and post-abortion care. So be honest with your healthcare provider. And, um, but there are some really good websites. There's actually a, a really cool website. I'm just going to pull it up that a doctor, an OBGYN just made that I'm trying to find what it is called. Um, there is a bunch of good websites coming up right now, but yeah, if you see any shout them out, you know, because sometimes yeah. especially with this on the tip of everyone's tongues, you know, to decipher between, you know, what's just kind of a, a, a junk. Yeah. It was sort of link and what's a real genuine resource. Yeah. I mean, I think in general, stick to .edu and stick to um, .org and kind of stick to more mainstream websites. But there, there are some really good ones, and we could always, um, I could always send you a link later. But and I know again, this is just this is the male in me talking. Uh, so this could be just a silly question, but talking to your doctor in any state is still safe, correct? Yes, it right. is, there's no it is a HIPAA violation. Talk about, oh, I could be thrown in jail if I if I was curious about having one, or they could do that, you know, especially in Texas, if you've had one or this and that thing. It is still safe for women to talk to their healthcare provider yeah. about abortions in every state, correct? Absolutely. And and it is they are not mandated reporters in this as of right now. Um, in our current climate to police officers, to anybody of the law, you are protected by HIPAA. And um, so it is patient confidentiality, unless somebody else's life, you know, a child's or an elderly person's life is in danger. Um, They're not required to report this to anybody. So, um, so, so please, please talk to the healthcare provider. I have walked people through getting an abortion um, it, many times. Jesse, is it legal for you to, to, to advise one? Is it legal to direct a woman where to go? Is that legal for you? So they are trying to legislate our way, our rights to counsel about abortion. Um, I don't know where that's going to land in our state right now, but as of right now, I still, I still am able to, to discuss it. Um, it might be illegal at some point in the future. I, I don't know. That's just, that's just, that's just unconscionable. Yeah. So, that's, so if you go to abortionfinder.org, by the way, you can click on your state and it will help you kind of figure out what to do. It was abortionfinder.org. Yep. Abortionfinder.org. So that, that's, that's a good place to start. Planned Parenthood will also direct you to that website. Yeah. I'm trying to find the other one, but I can't find it. But yes, as of right now, and my interpretation of the law is that I can still counsel my patients on any option available for them during pregnancy, but that is not something that's a hundred percent guaranteed, you know? So I love how these white men in legislature think that they can, they know better than an educated physician. It, it, it blows me away. It's really, I mean, I've spent many nights in tears. It's very upsetting, but 
I mean, the good news is it's a constitutional right to carry our gun. So, oh, well, there you it, go. <laughs> in good news, um, the Constitution protects that right. Oh, well, yay for the United States. Of course. States. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're, we're big fans of that over here. <sighs> I, I know that, that's so upsetting, especially that back to back. It felt like a one two punch in the face where a week before this, they say it's a constitutional right to carry a gun. And then a week later, say, it's not the Constitution's right to protect this. The states have to decide. It's, what what a slap in women's it's, face. It's a big betrayal. Yeah. 100%. Big betrayal. Yeah, I'll post, I'll post some links. I'll get some um, references on yeah. Instagram and um, share some resources for everybody. Um, that they yeah, can yeah, yeah. Use. There's a lot of good stuff, especially recently coming out. Um, that will really help people. Oh, here we go. It's called Three for Freedom. Three? T- Three like for Freedom.com. The T-H-R-E-E for Freedom.com. And basically it helps you get birth control, emergency contraception, and medication abortion pills. Is it the not, so it's T-H-R-E-E-F-O-R? Yep, freedom. Okay. Com. And okay. it was actually a website prepared by a gynecologist. And um, it, her basic argument is you should have birth control, you should have emergency birth control, and you should have abortion pills, and you should have all three in your medicine cabinet right now. Wow. And um, you sh- if, you, if you are a person who could get pregnant, if you own a uterus, and you have sex with sperm, you should do this. Um, so this, this is a great website. And she kind of links how you can get mail order birth control, mail order abortion pills and emergency contraception. Um, and you can subscribe um, and they can give you updates. So I, it's a really cool website. That was the one I was looking for three for freedom.com. I like that. Well, wow, that's awesome. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Just thank you so, so much. We're going to wrap this up. I know, um, you know, is there anything you want to say any closing things that we didn't touch on any, any, you know, I want to give you a sec. Cause we just, no, kind of I just want people to know that, Healthcare is in you in with this. We are just as disappointed and as upset and we are here for you. And we are struggling just as much with this decision. And this does not represent the majority of views of people in healthcare who are out there advocating for you and that you should assume that you have a safe space with your provider and that we are going to do everything we can from our legislative power um, to reverse this and, and to get you to where you need to be. So I think people can rest assured that the medical community is angry and the OBGYN community is angry about this. And we feel that our, our healthcare decisions are being made by the government, which is not where they should be made. Um, so don't be disheartened. And we just, I think the other number two thing I can say is vote, 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 vote. And if, if we don't vote, then we don't have a say in, in these things. And that's how we ended up here to begin with. So people have to come out and vote, whether you're neutral, whether you have opinions that don't align with both parties, you have to look at what your impact is and you have to vote for the people that will protect your rights. Um, and I think that that's going to be really important this upcoming election. Yeah. Thank you. Powerful. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Miller. We okay. It. Well, yes. All right. Thanks for having me. As your little brother, I love you to death. I Thank love you too. <laughs> I'm proud of you. Thanks for this awesome discussion. Uh, we right. appreciate you coming on today. And for Thank everyone you. else, enjoy. Enjoy your evening. Um, look for resources being posted on Instagram um, and all of that. So thanks for listening. Thanks, Jess. 
Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.